You are listening to a sermon brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. I pray that this sermon will bless you and teach you something new today. And you can find a link to our website in the info. Check it out and shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, how many of you guys read the scripture? A few of you guys. Any guesses before we read it again in here? Iron Man? Dr. Strange? Thor? All right, let's read it. First Kings 18, if you got your Bible, go ahead and pull it out. First Kings 18, starting in verse 20. If not, it will be up on the board. <clears throat> All right. This is one of my favorite uh, stories within Scripture, especially within the Old Testament. I'm a sucker for the Old Testament. I know a lot of people get weird about the Old Testament, but um, I studied it pretty extensively, and I really appreciate a lot of, of what goes on in the Old Testament um, because, I don't know, it's just awesome. So let's go ahead and get started. First Kings 18, verse starting in verse 20. <clears throat> so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even only, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of my God, of my Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took to the bull that was given to them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself. I love that. He's like, your God's out taking a, a break. <clears throat> or he is relieving himself, and he, or he is on a journey. Or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar. And in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two says of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the, on the burnt offering on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And he said, a th- uh, and they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water as well. 
Verse 36, and the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that this day you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all of these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned your backs, turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licking up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. <clears throat> all right. So this specific verse is what we're going to be talking about, or verse, scripture, is going to be what we're going to talk about a little more extensively within our sermon. But the, the secondary add-on a piece of scripture that we had for you guys was Acts 8. And I feel like paired together, I feel like it gives a pretty good picture of who we're going to be talking about. So Acts 8, starting in verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all of the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere. Astonished by the great signs and miracle he saw, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there because they might receive the Holy Spirit, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord, Jesus. Excuse me. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and he said, Give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may come to me. All right. Any guesses? I know that was a lot of scripture for one single sermon. Anybody, any new guesses? No, no guesses? You guys are so good at this. All right, go ahead and play the video. I feel like that was a pretty good representation. Uh, if you read the Acts, Acts uh, chapter 8, 9 through 12, I think that was a pretty good little cut scene, but obviously we're talking about Doctor Strange today. Doctor Strange is one of my favorite uh, Marvel characters. Uh, let's get started with a little bit of his backstory. So Doctor Strange's origins are a little complex, and yet at the same time pretty familiar to us as Christians. With the movie mostly being about 
the severely injured neurosurgeon, Dr. Strange, and his eventual discovery that the material universe is not necessarily all that there is, as you could see from the clip. Dr. Strange's origin story indicates that he was once an egotistical surgeon, and after a car accident, he severely damaged his hands, and it hindered his ability to perform surgery. He searches the globe quite literally um, for a way to repair them, a way to repair his hands so that he can eventually go back to surgery. And uh, he then eventually encounters the ancient one, the bald lady from the video, and becomes one of the Sorcerer Supreme students. Eventually, he becomes a practitioner of both the mystical arts and the mis- or martial arts. At the beginning of Strange's journey, his mentor, the Ancient One, identifies Strange's ego as the biggest obstacle to overcome for him to experience his true potential, eventually guiding Strange into a realization that not everything is about him. And the Ancient One instructs Strange that if we silence our ego, a different power can work through us. You cannot beat a river into submission, the Ancient One observes. You have to surrender to its current and use its power as your own, which I absolutely love that statement because it reminds me so much of a quote from John Bevere. John Bevere is a pastor and evangelist that I look up to. He's an amazing man of God, and I'm I'm roughly quoting him here. He's specifically talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, specifically about the gift of tongues of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he basically says, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is like a river. You can wade around in it, but to really experience its power, you have to submit to it. And I feel like that lines up so well with what she just said. But silencing the ego... Um, which is what the ancient one is uh, uh, instructing Dr. Strange to do. She says that it demonstrates um, that by, sorry, by silencing the ego, it results in an increase of power. And when conducted in tandem with changing one's reactions to life's obstacles, Strange learns to give up control in order to gain it, becoming empowered to serve something greater than himself, something non-material, surrendering, surrendering to the spirit, so to say. As Strange continues his self-emptying journey and learns to rise above his physical limitations, he also becomes increasingly aware of two warring kingdoms. While researching this subject, I actually learned that the writer and the director of Dr. Strange is actually a, a self-professing Christian. And so um, as I was researching Dr. Strange a little bit in the movie, specifically the movie, I found so many Christian undertones and so many Christian phrases and sayings. And I think it's kind of awesome like when you learn something like that, that the, the director and writer of the movie um, is actually a Christian. And so he intentionally put those things in there. And so that kind of makes the movie way cooler in my mind. But with that in mind, getting ready to start the sermon off today, uh, I want to start with a quote from the movie. She said, um, you think you know how the world works. You think that this material universe is all there is. What is real? What mysteries lie beyond the reach of your senses? At the root of existence, mind and matter meet. I love that quote, and it was one of the quotes from the clips, but it's such an awesome quote because I think as Christians and as people just in general, um, one of the things that we have to do is we have to open up ourselves to learn what God has for us. Rather than putting God into a box and saying, this is God, God is this, this is the way it's supposed to be, this is truth, 
we have to allow ourselves to be open and submit to God's truth because his truth is the ultimate truth. And so the scripture that I give you guys to read uh, initially was the first Kings 18, 20 through 30. And so in order to preface that piece of scripture, I want to give you guys a little bit of background information to help you guys maybe understand that piece of scripture a little bit better. And so basically what's going on behind the scenes it, during that piece of scripture, this is Elijah and the bull and, and God raining down, fire, uh, raining down fire, that scripture. Um, what's going on behind the scenes basically at this point in time is uh, Israel is being led by King Ahab. Uh, King Ahab was a Jewish man. However, he was married to a woman by the name of Jezebel. Jezebel was from the cities of Tyre and Sidon. And so Jezebel was an extremely strong personality. Let's word it that way. And basically once Ahab married her, she pretty much became the ruler of Israel because what Jezebel said, Ahab did. She basically became the one in control and she worshiped a God different than the the God that Ahab and Israel as a whole worshiped. And so it was Jezebel herself that reintroduced the worship of Baal back into Israel. And Baal was basically a false god of nature, so to say, of fertility. And so the Israelites basically, um, because of this, they adopted the worship of Baal alongside their worship of Yahweh. Yahweh is the God of the Bible. <clears throat> and so they basically decided that they would worship Jezebel's God alongside their God. And I, who knows what they were thinking initially, but I, I think the true evil of this situation here, the reason that it be, presents such a problem is because um, the re- Israelites didn't necessarily reject Yahweh. They didn't really re- uh, reject God of their ancestors, but they came alongside and added another God into their worship. And so... <clears throat> Everything within Elijah, within the narrative that we just read, is moving towards this encounter. Eventually, the prophets of Yahweh, the prophets of God, are feuding and fighting against the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal, and and especially Jezebel, is basically murdering the prophets of God left and right. Like, it's all-out war. And it eventually comes up to this um, situation in which we see here in... um, Elijah is presented and he's basically saying, like, specifically talking to the Israelites, saying, you can't worship both. You, it just doesn't work that way. That's not the way this goes. Um, let's do this test. Let's have this battle. Let's, let's have this, uh, showdown, so to say. And let's figure out who the real God is. Is it Yahweh, the covenant God of your ancestors? Or is it Baal, the fertility god of the pagan nations around us? Who is the real god? And basically it kind of peaks a little bit in verse 21 when he says, how long will you limp between two opinions? Limp isn't a word that's used a whole lot within the Old Testament. And so their use here is extremely important, I think. And he says, how long will you limp between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And he's saying you can't have it both ways. So let's decide who's God. Let's, let's choose today to decide who the real God is. And as much as this was an ancient question to the ancient Israels, uh, Israelites, I feel like this is such a huge question today. Who is God? What is God? What is truth? 
you know, truth as a whole is, is being debated. I mean, even within scripture, we're, we're seeing Christians debating what truth is, who is the real God. Some Christians see God and, and falsely see God in the blessings of their wealth. Some evangelistic, uh, televangelist prosperity gospel type preachers will basically straight up say, some of them have straight up said that, that if you're not wealthy, you're not serving God right, basically. That's wrong. And they say, and basically what's going on is their other God is wealth. And some Christians see God in the blessings of political agenda. They say, well, if God were here, he'd be uh, this side. If God were here, no, he would be on this side. They're seeing God through a political lens and politics have become their God. Muslims, uh, some Muslims, not all Muslims, some Muslims see God in the jihad which is a holy war against the West. So you can kind of begin to see what picture I'm trying to paint here a little bit, but um, beyond this, many people see God when they look in the mirror. I mean, they see the reflection. A lot of people, that's God to them, their self, their own success, their own wealth, their own privilege, their own profit. Um, a lot of people look in the mirror, Christians alike look in the mirror and that's really who they're worshiping or they'll look upon faces and lifestyles of the Hollywood elite. And that becomes their God, or maybe it's then their sports heroes. I mean, another word for it could be idols, false idols, but really if you're worshiping something other than God, you're worshiping a false God. That's what an idol is. It is a false God. And so Dr. Strange, um, throughout the movie, as he was going throughout, he, he got to the point as a neurosurgeon, that he was one of the, the world's leading neurosurgeons. And at one point early on in the movie, Dr. Strange saves a man's life in the ER. Basically, uh, there was a bullet lodged in his brain and, uh, Dr. Strange saves him and his ex-girlfriend is begging him to come back to the ER, come or come to the ER because she's like, you can save so many lives with your talent and your abilities. And Dr. Strange replies, and, and though what he says makes sense, he basically says, I'm doing a greater good. I'm, I'm going to be doing this. I, I won't be stuck in the ER because the work I'm doing will save even more lives. But the way that he says it and the way he goes about it, you can tell that he's not serving the greater good. Really, ultimately, he's just serving himself. <clears throat> and you get the sense that um, he's serving his own name, his own life, his own image. He's worshiping himself. And so it becomes very clear within the movie that in order for Dr. Strange to become who he's supposed to be, he's going to have to overcome his ego. His ego is by far the number one thing that he has to overcome. <clears throat> and so going back to the showdown on Mark, uh, Mount Carmel between the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal is uh, basically a dramatic, very dramatized depiction of the first, uh, the first amendment, the first commandment politics, <clears throat> excuse me. It's a dramatic de de depiction of the first commandment. And the first commandment says, I'm the Lord, your God. Basically I'm the Lord, your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And that's really what's at issue here today. That's what we're dis uh, discussing. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about other gods. 
What in our lives are other gods? How do we sometimes fall into the trap of serving something other than God? And so here in this, in this uh, Bible story, Israel isn't following God alone, like I said, and I alluded to. Um, they've, they haven't abandoned him completely. It's not like they completely turned their backs towards God and were worshiping Baal and that they had completely lost their faith entirely. It's a different story, and they're flirting with basically another God at the same time as they're having a relationship with God. And so they're limping, as it says, limping between Yahweh and Baal. And really, this is an issue, comes back down to what we're talking about. It's an issue of faithfulness because they have broken their own covenant that they made with God, that they would have no other God before him. And so as the story plays out, Elijah has 450 prophets of Baal build their altar, put a bowl on it, ask Baal to rain down fire. And since obviously Baal is a false God, nothing happens. And the prophets of Baal get more and more desperate, going as far as is taking their customary knives and their lances and cutting themselves to the point where their blood was gushing. Like, have you ever seen blood gush? Like, it takes a pretty decent little wound to make your blood gush. And they were cutting themselves enough that blood was gushing. And I I love the way that John Piper uh, puts it. In reference to this specifically, he says, Rarely in your walk with Christ, and I stress rarely, rarely in your walk with Christ will mocking be the proper tool in order to win people to Christ. Like, uh, it, it's very, very rare that mocking is the tool that you will need in order to win people to Christ. Because typically, if somebody screws up and you mock them, you will have no witness. But that being said, there are exceptions in which mocking becomes the very appropriate tool in which God will use you in order to glorify himself. And basically that's what's happening here is Elijah's just straight up like punking them. Like, Hey, maybe you should yell louder. Maybe your God's taking a leak, man. Like get even louder guys. Like your God might be sleeping. Like he's just straight up mocking them. Like it's, it's a scene. It is, it's a sadistic carnival. Like, like, I just can imagine watching this and being entertained for hours watching the behavior of the, the prophets of Baal. Like the, the lengths and, the, and the, the severity that they'll go to to try to convince their God that he needs to act is mind-blowing to me. It's astounding. It honestly is almost unfathomable that they'd be willing to cut themselves and pierce themselves to the point where their blood is just gushing out of their body in order to try to convince their God to show up and show people that he's real. Like, like they've got to convince him. They feel like they have to convince their God by just jacking themselves up for him to show up. Like, even if their God was real, like that's not the kind of God I want to serve. Hey God, you're show these people you're real. I'm going to cut my wrist so that you'll show up. Like that's jacked up. And so then Elijah says something that I I feel is absolutely profound after this happens. When it's his turn and and he's getting ready to to walk up to the stage and he's getting ready for the showdown. He's getting ready for his portion. He says something that I think is profound because it's in extreme contrast 
to the prophets of Baal. Because Elijah is by himself in this. Whereas the prophets of Baal brought 450. They were like, let's just bring anybody and everybody and let's make a, make, let's make a scene out of this. And in extreme contrast, Elijah says, hey, people of Israel, come to me. Will you help me? Help me build this altar. Will you participate? Will you come back to your God? Help me. Come to me. And so the Israelites come to him and help him rebuild the altar. And it wasn't a self of, or a show of self-mutilation. It wasn't anything sadistic and ridiculous. It was about coming back to God. Come to me. Then they rebuilt the altar. They set a bull upon it. And then he goes as far, and this is almost like just that salt in the wound to the worshipers of Baal, because he's like, go ahead and just douse it with water. And so they just douse it with water. And he's like, do it again. They do it a second time. And he's like, do it a third time. And there's so much water that there's a ditch along the side and it is filling up with water. Like it is pooling. It is filling this ditch around that is dug into the dirt. And so that's a lot of water that's being poured upon this bowl. And then he sets back and he just basically says, Hey God, Show yourself so that they can come back to you. Show the, show yourself so that they will know who the real God is. And it's just, I mean, there's no from morning until noon. There's no giant process. It's literally right at the last second. He just says, hey, God, would you show yourself? And God shows up and burns up the bull offering. But on top of that, not only does he bull, uh, burn up the, the bull offering, he also burns up the water. Like, I've never seen fire burn up water. Like I can only imagine what kind of flame it would take to consume and, and ignite water on fire. But immediately it, it just burns up everything. And so I feel like this story had a lot of similarities to Dr. Strange because um, really what's going on and it gets deeper and it becomes more profound as, as we begin to uncover this a little bit and we walk this service out, we walk this sermon out. Um, the similarities between Dr. Strange and this situation, specifically with Dr. Strange, it looks a little different. It looks a little more modern to what's going on compared to this story in Kings for us. Because it's not often for us, at least in America, where we encounter somebody who's worshiping the God of Baal or the God of whatever, and they're doing this kind of stuff. Typically, the things that we're going to encounter in America are the false gods like Dr. Strange encounters. A lot of times for us, especially as Christians, are our own ego, our own pride, our own issues, sports, you know, something a little more uh, acceptable as far as our... Um, convictions go. Because if somebody decided in this room and, and somebody who I knew personally just decided all of a sudden, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this crazy thing and stab myself over and over to worship this God. Like you're like, all right, you're okay. We're good. Peace out. You know, like it's extreme. But if somebody's like, hey, you know, I'm going to take a year off of worshiping God and I'm going to go and follow this sports team around or something like that. Like it tends to be a little more acceptable within the Christian world, within the Christian um, 
faith. And so Dr. Strange is battling specifically his own ego. He's himself has become his false God, his pride, his success, his name, his medical practice, his money, him. He is his own false God. And in order to operate in the gifts that they're trying to offer him, he has to submit. He has to let his ego go. He has to let go of his pride. He has to submit and he has to get out of his own way, so to say. He has to make it clear that he's no longer worshiping his own self, his own ego. And so he eventually becomes one of the the most powerful forces on earth. But again, before he did it, he had to recognize that it wasn't even his own power. He had to submit to a power that was greater than him. And he just had to submit to the current. And so as Christians, we're called to do the same thing. As believers in God and Jesus, we're called to do the same thing. We're called to recognize that it's not under our own strength that we do things. It's not under our own walk. It's not under our own whatever. It's out of our walk with God. It is out of our faith in him because it is his strength. I mean, that goes as far from overcoming sin all the way to overcoming false idols. We have to walk with God. It has to be a process, a daily process in which we surrender to the Holy Spirit. And we walk this out. And so through a relationship with God, we grow. We grow closer to God. We grow more as people. We become more selfless and let go of our pride and let go of our ego. And we're changed And through that process as Christians, that's how we're called to navigate this life. And so like Elijah, Dr. Strange's power came from something beyond our own visual reality. Neither of them were the source of their own power. And they simply were harnessing a higher power in order to accomplish what they did or submitting to a higher power. And so um, immediately when I read this and I was going through planning this sermon series, I read this piece of scripture and I immediately thought of Dr. Strange because I thought of the issues that he went through um, in order to become who he was. And though Elijah causing fire to rain down is a little different than Dr. Strange summoning a transportation portal, I know it's different, but you kind of get the gist of where my brain was going with this. And so um, our scripture from Acts talks about that this power isn't sold. It's not something that's just given to us to benefit us so that we can live a life of comfort and ease and wealth and pride. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than our own self. It's bigger than our own ego. And so in continuing specifically, uh, Romans six says you cannot serve two masters. You will either grow to love one and, or you will grow to love one and you will grow to hate the other. And so Israelites or the Israelites sin was a sin of convenience what it really came down to. It's the same thing that we struggle with today. I think it's such a profound sin. This is at least my interpretation of this. I feel like the Israelites were falling into a sin of convenience. And the reason why I say this is because it was easier for them to just worship Baal alongside their relationship with God because then it wouldn't cost them anything. There was no sacrifice. They could have the best of both worlds. So basically what was going on is that they could still worship the God of their ancestors. The God that they knew was real 
and they could worship Baal, the god of their king, at the same time. That's, that's how they viewed it. Because any devi- uh, deviation from this would cost them something. If they went totally over to Baal, it could cost them their family. It could cost them their heritage. It could cost them God, a relationship with God. And on the other side, if they only worshipped God, if they only worshipped Yahweh, then they could possibly be killed or tortured or removed from their society from uh, because of Jezebel. Jezebel was persecuting, killing, and getting rid of anybody and everybody that was a prophet of God. And so it was convenient for them just to take alongside the other God. It was a sin of convenience. And I think as Christians, especially in America, we tend to fall into this exact same trap. Ours is a little more complicated at times because it's not so cut and dry, black and white. But we begin, again, to worship things like politics, sports, celebrities, money, popularity, our own pride, our own popularity. We fall into a sin of convenience, oftentimes sacrificing our relationship with Jesus for something else while thinking subconsciously, perhaps, that I'm still worshiping God, so it's okay. I'm still worshiping God so I can do this because I'm still worshiping God. I'm not going to reach out to my friends to share the gospel with them because I, it's okay though, because I prayed and read my Bible this morning. I spent time with God. So I don't have to submit to my convictions because I spent time with God. And so really all you're doing is you're sacrificing your convictions for instead a worldly benefit. And so I want to be careful here. I'm not saying that, uh, and I'm not demonizing spending time with God and reading your Bible because that is the foundation your faith should be built upon. What I'm saying is that you can't sacrifice your convictions. You can't sacrifice the things that God is asking you to do um, and just be content with where you're at because you have that foundation in place because that's exactly what was going on with the ancient Israelites. And so in Doctor Strange, um, Jonathan Panghorn, who was in the movie early on, he's the one who eventually told Doctor Strange where to go. He was paralyzed and he used his abilities. He, he did the same thing. He went through the same process as Doctor Strange, except for he used his abilities solely to allow himself to be able to walk again. And I feel like his story is the, the true sadness of this movie. Because basically what's going on is, He was able to see the power. He was able to see that there's so much bigger going on in this earth. He could see the, the war that was battling on the, the, the battle that was beyond our own vision. He could see all of that and he could harness the power, but he used it for his own selfish gain. And so instead of being who he could be and becoming who he could be, he then instead sacrificed all of that. And he settled for his miracle. And I think so often as Christians today, we have to be that careful that we don't walk into that same problem, that same trap. Settling our, uh, settling our relationship on just accepting the, the miracle that maybe we received. Accepting the Christ sacrifice and just settling with that life. Because there's so much more. The Holy Spirit was literally sent to us to come alongside us, to help us, 
to be so much more than we could be without him. And so we truly begin to walk in God's will and walk in the gifts of the spirit when we stop serving multiple gods. We stop serving our own pride, our own agenda, our own issues, and align ourselves with God. As the ancient one said, surrender to its current. Because ultimately, the same power that was available to Elijah as a prophet and this is the same power that was available to the disciples of Jesus, and it's the same power that's available to us today as Christians. And it is the Holy Spirit. And I've seen some pretty epic things happen when people submit to the Holy Spirit and they allow God, they allow the Holy Spirit to flow through them for a bigger purpose. And so tonight in, in summing everything up and, and um, just kind of closing, we're going to kind of close it abruptly because I don't want to miss this opportunity. So tonight I want to take the opportunity for us as a whole to surrender back to God. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're going to spend a little bit of time in prayer. Lord, tonight, we wish to realign ourselves with you. Lord, we wish to surrender to you. So God, I just ask that you would help us, that you would... Help us walk in your will. Help us to turn away from our false gods. So tonight I'm going to make our prayer time simple. It's going to be really simple. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask everyone to pray a prayer alongside me. But I'm going to ask if tonight this spoke to you in any way, shape, or form. If, if you know you've been serving some false gods, if you've maybe been serving your own ego or your own pride, and that's you and you know it tonight, I'm going to ask that you just make this prayer your own. Make sure that you speak these words on your own accord. And tonight, if you've never given your life to Christ, you've never submitted to God, and tonight you would like to, then same thing. I ask that you would just submit to this prayer. We're not going to ask you to raise hands. We're not going to make it awkward in here. I'm just going to ask that you submit to this prayer and make this prayer your own. So I'm going to ask everybody as a whole to repeat this prayer after me. Thank you, Jesus. Louder, please. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. Lord, I submit myself to you and I give my life to you. Lord, help me to keep my focus on you and to serve only you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You guys can open your eyes. I think it's significant that we constantly remind ourselves to go back to God. It's so easy, even as a pastor standing before you, even as, as a mentor to you guys, some of you guys, I still struggle time and time again of serving my own agenda, serving my own will. And so it's a constant daily 
situation in which I wake up in the morning and I have to consciously think today, I want to make sure I want to do everything I can today to serve God. Because I think sometimes we fall away from God and we fall to false gods so easily and so quickly because we wake up one day and we're just too busy for God. And then the next day we wake up and uh, we just don't have enough energy for God. The next day we wake up and we come up with these excuses in order to serve our own agendas and our own will. And really, I think that's the battle of Christianity. That's the battle of believers in Christ is we sometimes take up causes, uh, just causes, causes that we really believe in. But when we compare it to the Bible, it's not compatible. It's really just not in line. And so we constantly need to be checking ourselves and making sure that what we're doing is appropriate and is in line with God's will. And that's not to say that you have to like, oh, I'm going to pray about what color shirt to wear this morning. Like, I'm not saying that it needs to be that quite, quite that extreme. However, it's, it's bigger than that. It's, it's a process. It's a daily step with God. It's a daily walk with God. It's not just something that you can pray a prayer once and you're just, you're good. It's, it's a walk. It's a conversation. It's a lifestyle with God. And so I encourage you guys, um, as you go this week, wake up in the morning and immediately start your day off with some prayer and, and ask God, God, I just ask you to align yourself with me. Help me to align with you today. Help me to walk with you today. Help me, um, and guide me. It really is sometimes as simple as that. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is. But as long as you start your day consciously thinking of God and, and asking him to guide you, usually that opens up opportunities throughout your day to serve him. And I know it's super simple and it sounds like elementary, you know, Bible school or uh, Bible school, elementary uh, Sunday school. But I mean... Giants have fallen for Sunday school reasons. Giants of the faith have fallen because of issues that should have been taken care of when they were in middle school. And so it doesn't matter how big you are in your faith or how small you are in your faith. We all have to submit to this same thing. We all have to check our own egos at the door, basically. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today and we thank you for this opportunity. Um, Lord, we love you. Help us, guide us, and help us to come back to you. God, I pray that you would let your presence be known to all of the students here today. Lord, that they could feel your tangible presence as they go to class this week, that you would minister to them and you would speak to them and you would help them out. Lord, that you would uh, make sure that they aren't isolated, that they don't feel alone. God, that you would help them to deal with maybe struggles of depression, God, as, as they feel lonely, I pray that you would interject and help them, them to know that they're not alone. Help them, help them to know that they're loved. And Lord, uh, we just pray that you would help us to unite as Christians, to be um, there for each other more. Make sure that we interject when our friends are hurting. Lord, help us to be accountable to each other. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Amen.